You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. An old discarded piece of wood is becoming something completely new. As the project takes shape, it becomes what is in the mind of the master. The master will not stop until the project is complete. Until it is everything he hoped it would be. He adds finishing touches and intricate details. The project is beautiful. It has been transformed. What was once discarded and unused has become a masterpiece that represents the mind and skill of the master craftsman. As we've seen in this progression of videos over the weeks, the craftsman is focused on transformation. He knows what can be, and he sees what can be as he takes an old board that just like appears to be a piece of lumber, and he begins to work with it. And in the process, there's this transformation that happens. That you take this old piece of wood, and there's something that's beautiful that comes out of it. In the process, there's the cutting, there's the sanding, there's the shaping, there's the bringing forth of the potential of the board. Again, the end result is something that's, that's amazing. And, and the analogy here is, so it is with the master craftsman, Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit, continues to refine and shape in our lives. What it's, it's the old becoming new. It's the lost being restored. He's shaping our lives as kingdom citizens so that we can both represent and manifest his kingdom to our community, to, to the world that we live in. As I said last week, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you would self-identify as being a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen of God's kingdom, and you are a work in process. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm in process. Don't tell them they're in process. That's not appropriate. Say, I am in process. It's the master craftsman. He's refining, he's shaping in our lives, transforming us so that we're not conformed to the world, but we're being transformed, get this, from the inside out. And that's why Jesus began talking about, as he came to establish the kingdom, early on in his ministry, he begins talking about kingdom values. He begins to tell us what God's kingdom looks like. As we truly embrace these, these values of the kingdom, as we internalize the values of the kingdom, then what happens is it begins to shape what we do. When we have right values, then we have right actions that flow out of that. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 23, 7, the scripture says, as a man thinks, so is he. As you think, so are the actions of your life. And Jesus even drilled down a little deeper 
In Luke 6.45, he says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. Or out of the overflow of where? This here, the heart. So the issue is not so much our actions. I think we always think the problem is our actions. I would say today the issue is not so much your actions or my actions. The issue actually lies deeper. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of how we think. That's why Jesus began to tell us what the kingdom of God looks like. And as he does that, he addresses like issues of the heart, values that should shape how we live. These kingdom values are revealed to us in the Beatitudes. So far, we've looked at the first five of these Beatitudes. Um, and so in case you were not here last week, or just as a reminder for us this morning, let me just quickly review what we've talked about so far as we've been looking at kingdom values. We're talking about, God, your kingdom come. So what does the values, the values of the kingdom look like? The first Beatitude reads like this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Or blessed are those who come to the end of themselves and realize their great need, great need for God. In other words, we realize that we're in trouble without God. A crisis. The second beatitude is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are wrecked by their sins and the sins of our world, because it's that sorrow that leads to repentance. And in repentance, we discover God's mercy. And in that... In that we are comforted. The third beatitude is blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who come under by their choice come under the, the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ and surrender their will to his will for they will inherit the earth both now and in the future. The fourth beatitude we looked at last week was this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, who are continually motivated to do that which is right, for they will find fulfillment and fullness. The fifth beatitude is blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, who give grace instead of judgment. And they reach out to help those who are in need, for they open their lives to the mercy and the goodness of God. So as Jesus was giving this teaching along the side, alongside the Sea of Galilee, and I've been there on the very site, the location where Jesus would have given the Sermon on the Mount a number of times, and it, nothing like being on site to read the Beatitudes as Jesus would have spoke them. But I think as Jesus was giving these kingdom values, I think the crowd was like sitting on the edge of their seat. They were captivated. Why? Because what Jesus was saying was so counterculture to the to the ways of the religion of the dead. It was counterculture to the way of the Romans. And Jesus here was speaking of, like, this is what it looks like. If you're going to live as a kingdom citizen, this is what it looks like. And so as he continues on in his teaching, he gives us three more statements of the way of the blessed. Because he's saying, hey, here's the way to discover the blessing of God. Again, connected to these kingdom values. So if you have your scripture, look with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to pick up with verse 8 this morning. It's on the screen as well. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, if you think about it this morning, your greatest problem and my greatest problem is not so much what we do. Our greatest problem, I believe, is in the way we think. In order to transform what we do, we must transform how we think. It's like the, the mind is the key to our entire being, which is, is why the greatest challenge for us today is, the, is to develop a kingdom mentality. Why is it important that we're spending three weeks talking about the values of the kingdom? Because we need to have the mentality of what it looks like to live as kingdom citizens. That's why Jesus began the establishing of God's kingdom on earth by giving these values of the kingdom. So I want us to look deeper this morning into these three, the last three Beatitudes here in Matthew 8, 9, and 10. The sixth Beatitude that Jesus said is this, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Or it might read like this, blessed are those who have an undivided heart undivided heart for they will experience God there's a true story true story of a couple from Bakersfield California who were so excited they, they bought a new boat how many of you remember that day right yeah you know, that's your second most excited day in your life the first most excited day in your life is when you sell the boat right but they were so excited because they purchased a new boat but but they were having a serious problem they have the boat out for the first first day on the water and like, no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get the boat going. Turning left, turning right, giving it more power. The boat was just sluggish. And after an hour of trying to get this new boat to, to operate correctly, they were frustrated. So they putted over to a marina to see if they could get some help to figure out what's the problem with this, this new boat that they, they just purchased. And so as they arrived at the marina, there was a thorough check on the top side of the boat that revealed like everything was in Perfect working condition. Engine was fine. The outdrive went up and down. The propeller was a correct size and pitch. And then one of the marina guys jumped in the water to check out, like, what's happening below the surface. And as he came up, like, he was choking with laughter is what he realized that the trailer was still securely connected to the bottom of the boat. That was the problem. Like, the boat wouldn't work because the trailer was still connected to it. But the problem was deeper, right? The problem was below the surface, so to speak. And as I read that story, first I thought, like, who in the world would do that? That was my first thought, to be honest. But my second thought was, so it's true in our lives. The problem lies below the surface. The problem lies deeper within. I think for you and I, if we're honest this morning, it's, it's the issue, it's the challenge, it's the problem of the heart. It was Dr. Billy Graham who said, we're suffering from only one disease in the world today. So our basic problem's not a race problem, our basic problem isn't a poverty problem, our basic problem isn't a war problem, our basic problem is a heart, is a heart problem. It's interesting how much the Bible says about the heart. I mean, just listen to a few of these references just as I read a few scriptures. First Samuel 16, 7 says that, that the Lord does not look at the thing man looks at, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What's he concerned about this morning? He's concerned about your heart. Because this is what God knows if your heart's right. You won't have to worry about all this behavior modification. 
I don't worry about all of these rules. If, if heart is right, then actions follow. God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he, he's looking at the heart. Proverbs 21.2 says, All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 27.19 says, As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, because it affects everything else that you do. Then in Mark 12.30, Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And then in our text, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Now this word pure, the word pure in the original text, has actually two meanings. Two meanings. The first is to make pure by cleansing from dirt, filth, or contamination. Kind of like metals being refined in fire until they're free from all impurities. That's the first meaning here. And I think it's, it's this purity or righteousness that we receive when we accepted Christ as our Savior. But we were made righteous before God. Matter of fact, Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Paul states, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So this first definition of pure, I think, speaks of what happened in your life when you accepted Christ as your Savior. What your life was freed from sin and you took on the righteousness of Christ. The second meaning for pure refers to being unmixed or having no double allegiance. And I believe it's this that Jesus is addressing in this beatitude. Blessed are those who don't have a divided heart, who are not mixed in their, in their allegiance. And when Jesus speaks of a pure heart, he's implying a heart that's single and undivided in his focus on its devotion to and motivation for God. You know, if you'll recall, there was a, a story recorded for us where a young man, the scripture actually identifies him as a rich young man. I think it's interesting as you read the story, and I encourage you to read the story about the rich young ruler. But the scripture says, literally, he comes running to Jesus, falls on his knees, and says, Master, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus, addressing this man who's seeking out eternal life, says, well, you know what the law says. Do not murder, do not com commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this young man says, I I've done all of those. says, I was a young man, I've kept all of those. In other words, I I I've, been I've been doing the right thing. And then Jesus, Scripture says that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, there's one thing you lack. Go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Scripture says of this young man that he went away sad because he had great wealth. In other words, he walked away from the very thing that he was seeking because he had great wealth. Or we might say that the wealth had him. The problem, friends, the problem was not with the wealth. The problem was not with the money. The, that, that's, not the, that's not the root of the problem. The root of the problem was the heart. He had divided allegiance. He couldn't let go of this to follow Jesus. Therefore, he went away sad. 
Again, divided heart, divided allegiance. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said these words, No one can serve two masters. What? Because you're divided. He goes on to say, either he'll hate the one and love the other, he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot have divided heart or divided allegiance. And at the same time, be pure in heart. This was also the problem that Jesus consistently confronted in the religious leaders of the day. Those who would have been like the church folks of the day. What was the continual conflict? The continual conflict was they were divided in their hearts. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said this to the religious leaders, You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In other words, you know all the right things to say. And possibly you've been in church long enough that you know all the right things to say. But I would ask you today, is your heart divided? Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are not divided in their allegiance, but they have a passion for God and pursuit of God. Now, this is not an issue of being without sin. How many of you know, because we're human, we sin? Can I get an amen on that? At least say amen for your neighbor. Right? Because we're human. So this is not about blessed are those who are without sin, because that's not possible. And just look at your own life, the frailty of your humanity, the depravity of your, your humanity. This is not about being without sin, but it is about having a heart that's passionately pursuing God, that He is your one pursuit. So we don't worship the stuff of the world. We use the stuff, but we keep our focus on the one who's rescued our lives. Our passion is for Him and Him alone. Now the Scripture says this of King David. And how many of you know King David had his issues? Read, read about King David. There was some issues of, of parenting problems. There was some issues of adultery. There was some issues of murder. Uh, I mean, David had some issues, right? Like you, like me. They had issues. Yet Acts 13.22 says this, that David was a man after God's own heart. I think that's interesting. So that, to be pure in heart is not to be without sin. It's not to be without fault or failure. Because again, we all struggle with that. But Jesus was saying here, as those who are citizens of the kingdom, we live with a passion for God. We don't have divided allegiance. And in that, and in that, we constantly, we constantly get to see God at work in our lives. He says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will experience God. They'll see God. And I think the promise here, the blessing here, is actually twofold. This is what I've come to experience in my own life. I see it true in God's Word. It's when you live with um, a fully committed heart to passionately pursue God, then you're going to experience God in a greater way in your life. In other words, He's going to show up. In your life. You're going to experience God in the here and now. If I had time this morning, I could give you a dozen stories where I found that true in my own life. When you set your heart to pursue God, and listen, i got plenty of flaws in my life. It's not about me being a perfect man. i got issues just like you got issues. But I've, as I've set my heart to go after God, I've seen Him show up in my life. I've experienced God in my life. So there's the promise both present and there's a promise future. As you live with a pure heart, 
an undivided heart, then the future is this one day you're going you're gonna to see God. You're going to be in his presence. With your eyes, you will behold him. The future promise that we have to look forward to. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The sixth, or excuse me, the seventh beatitude that Jesus gave reads like this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You know, as citizens of God's kingdom, we are those who work for peace. As we represent the Prince of Peace, right? Who are we representing? The Prince of Peace. As we represent the Prince of Peace, we should live with a value of helping restore peace where there's conflict and division. I'm telling you, if there's ever been a time that we have opportunity to live this one out, it's today, right? And we're living in a world that's a conflict, strife and division. I mean, just this past week, we had the growing conflict between Israel and Palestine and missiles being launched, lives being taken. We have an ongoing conflict between the nation of China and the United States where there's an absence of peace. We have conflict in our nation between political parties, and I keep wondering, why can't they just work together like for the good of our nation? We have the conflict over issues like racism and gender and immigration that seem to divide us. And then we have conflict in our families where relationships have been broken and there's division. I mean, that's the reality of the world we live in. And it's not a new problem. You know, much of our world history, if you study world history, and if you remember those days in in class when you were studying world history, it was really a study of wars, right? I mean, over the past, get this, over the past 5,560 years, there have been nearly 15,000 wars, and these are only the ones we know about. If there's anything we're good at as humans, I think it's, it's kind of, it's not the peace working, it's the conflict. But in the midst of the chaos and conflict, you and I, as kingdom citizens, are called to live as peacemakers. Which means what? It means this. It means we step into the chaos and we bring the presence of Jesus where? Into the chaos, into the conflict. Rather than avoiding it, rather than doing like, you know, ostrich, stick your hand and head in the sand and think it's going to go away. No, we bring Jesus into that situation. And we bring his grace and we bring his truth and we bring his kindness. Why? Because we're, we're those who are called to work for to work for peace. So peacemakers share the gospel of peace so that people can be reconciled with God and they bring the gospel of peace into relationships that are at odds or broken. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Notice what he says. He says, stand firm then, belt the truth, buckle it around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet, notice with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So what are we representing? We are representing the gospel of peace. Interesting. And you and I today can be at peace with God because of the provision of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, we were separated from God. Scripture actually says that you were an enemy of God. And Jesus Christ came that we might be reconciled to the Father. So we say it like this today. You can be at peace with God. 
And as those who are at peace with God, who have been reconciled to God, get this, you and I have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Scripture is very clear about this. As Christ followers, as kingdom citizens, we have been given an assignment. And the assignment is this, a ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, listen to how the Scripture reads. It says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sin against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we have a twofold assignment. The first is we're living out the gospel of peace and that we should be trying to help others come to a place... That they're at peace with God. In other words, we're seeking out those who are far from God. Any of you know someone far from God? What do they need? They need to be at peace with God. And we are to have our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. And that we are trying to help those who are in conflict with God or enemies of God, far from God. We're working what to see them reconciled to God, that they would be saved. And the second part of this assignment is, again, we're stepping into situations and places of conflict. And this is not fun. Listen, if you're in the room today and you just really enjoy conflict, then you need a counselor. You need help. So no one likes conflict. At times I feel like I'd rather walk five miles than get into a conflict. Or be engaged in a conflict. Yet as those who, again, have been reconciled to Christ, we're now given this ministry of reconciliation. And the assignment is we move toward those places of conflict. And again, what do we do? We bring the grace of Christ and the love of Christ and the truth of Christ. Rather than throwing fuel on the fire... We step in to represent the Prince of Peace in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the conflict. And blessed are the peacemakers. Who are you? You're called to be a peacemaker. For they'll be called the children of God. And I believe the promise of this, the reward of this beatitude is that we're recognized as God's children because we reflect His image. And we share in His passion for reconciliation. And in that, what we're identified as his kids. And there's some of my kids, but they're working for peace. So may we be kingdom citizens who work for peace in the chaos, the conflict of our world. The eighth and final beatitude that Jesus gave is found in verse 10. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't think, we don't normally think of like blessing and persecution being two experiences that go together, right? Yet the scripture says, interesting, again, it's almost like this oxymoron. Blessing connected to, to persecution. And when we hear the word persecuted, we think of being persecuted, we think of pain, not blessing. But Jesus says there's a, there's a greater reward for those who endure persecution because they're committed to living as kingdom citizens and following the way of Christ. You know, as I've said throughout this series, to live as a kingdom citizen means you're living counter to our culture. You've got to understand that. 
You want to speak truth? You want to stand for right and what's right? You want to stand for justice? You want, to, you want to take a stand for that which is truth according to God's word? You want to bring God's word into a conversation in the marketplace today? You want to talk about righteousness in, a, in the marketplace today? This is what I know. Living as a kingdom citizen puts you counter to culture. And because you're counter to culture, hear me, friend, you're going to experience some persecution. Quite possibly, someone might reject you. Quite possibly, they might overlook you for a promotion in your workplace because you have values that are directing your life that are rooted to the truth of God's Word. It's quite possible that you might be ridiculed. It's quite possible that you might be ostracized because of your faith. Interesting, recently... Uh, my daughter and her commitment to follow Christ has made some wise decisions that we applaud about her life and about purity. And because of her convictions concerning purity, her friends said, we, we don't want anything to do with you. Painful. To be rejected for us adults is painful, but when you're talking about teens, it's even more painful to deal with rejection. Simply because she made a decision of this is the value that's going to direct my life. This is how I'm going to live my life. And her friend said, that's silly. That's ridiculous. Why would you do that? It's counter to culture. It's counter to what our culture is saying. Yet it's how we're called to live. And in the midst of that, you will be persecuted. Now, for us, we've been blessed in our nation with freedoms. In the United States of America, we have freedom. One of the freedoms we have is a freedom to worship, right? The freedom to gather like this. So the, what that means for us and how that plays out is we've not had to face intense persecution like what's happening around the world. Because I, I, Sometimes I think that we have this thought that how it's happening here for us is how it's happening for our family members who live in other parts of the world, and I would say not so. Did you know that there's places in our world today where people are losing their lives because they took a stand for Jesus? They're being beat and imprisoned, houses being burned, places of worship being burned, all because of this. They said, we will not compromise our faith will not deny Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as a result of that, mass persecution. Let me share with you some statistics. In this past year, there have been over 340 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. This past year, 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. And these are just the ones that we know about. 4,761. This past year, 4,488 churches and other church buildings have been attacked. Believers have been detained without trial, imprisoned. No idea of when they're going to get out. Listen, persecution... Not just an issue of the past. It's still happening today around the world. 
as people take a stand for Jesus. And I, I happen to believe that we're living in a time in our nation and the coming days, coming months, coming years, I think, as you say, I'm going to live with an undivided heart. I'm going to live my life according to the principles of God's Word. And I'm going to represent Jesus in my neighborhood, in the marketplace, where, wherever I am. I'm going to live for Jesus. I think there's greater persecution coming. That's just my, that's my belief. You don't have to believe what I believe. And Jesus would say, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you refuse to bow to the culture of our day, to the ways of our world. He said, in that you will be blessed. You know, there's a passage of Scripture, and you can check this out later, in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are arrested, falsely accused and arrested for preaching the gospel. But they're facing persecution. And as you read the story in Acts chapter 4, what I want you to notice is how they responded to the persecution. Because I think it's a model it's a model for us of how we rightly respond when we experience persecution for our beliefs. In the midst of the persecution, four things happened. They chose to worship and glorify God. They boldly proclaimed the good news of Jesus. They didn't, they didn't give in to the intimidation, but remained confident in their faith. And this is what I love. In the midst of the persecution, they were praying for greater opportunity. Jesus, just let us represent you more. In their persecution. What a model for us. As, as persecution for our faith comes our way, may we be faithful and found full of faith. As fully devoted Christ followers, even though persecution is a given, we must also remember it's a gift of the kingdom. 1 Peter 4, 16, the scripture says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Praise God that you get to represent him in this place, in this time, on the earth. So as we experience persecution for our faith that can come in many ways, Jesus says again, what will be blessed as we endure. These last three kingdom values give us insight as to how we should live in a world and a culture that's in conflict with the ways of God. As we look at the three in whole, I think they really direct us. This is what it looks like to live in a world where you're going to be in conflict with the world and the ways of the world. These three Beatitudes could be summarized like this. Blessed are those who have, an, who have undivided hearts in a world full of distraction and deception, for they will see and experience God both now and in eternity. Blessed are those who represent the Prince of Peace and work for peace in the midst of conflict, for they will be called the sons and the daughters of God. Blessed are those who experience hardship and persecution because of their commitment to Jesus and their passion to honor God, for they will be rewarded in heaven. So may the values of the kingdom be the very values that shape our lives. May, may these not just be like scriptures that we read, 
But may this be truth that we live. Holy Spirit, help us do that. That these kingdom values, the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke, may they begin to shape how we think as it shapes how we think. And the natural fruit of that is we'll be living as citizens of the kingdom. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you today again for the guidance that you give through your word for our lives. And Lord, the reality is, is we're living in a world where as we walk out your truth and your guidance, as we live as kingdom citizens, even as it was counterculture, Jesus in your day, so it's counter to our culture today. So Holy Spirit, help us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in the marketplace. Holy Spirit, help us to take these values and they would so become a part of our thinking and it would so settle down in their hearts that it's what we would live out. Lord, when we see conflict and chaos, Lord, may we be peacemakers. Lord, as, as we're persecuted, maybe there's a point of rejection or we're ostracized or, or lapped out because of our convictions. Lord, may we just understand that that's part of living as kingdom citizens. And may we celebrate that. And Lord, in the midst of all of the distractions of the world, and there's a lot, Holy Spirit, may our hearts not be divided. May we live truly with, with a passion for you. Oh, it doesn't mean we always get it right, but Lord, may our hearts be solely committed to you. Lord, I know in and of ourselves, just to say, well, hey, I'm going to work harder to make this happen. It, it doesn't happen. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Continue that transformation in our lives as we're all in process. May we be truly citizens of the kingdom who are living the ways of the king. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.